Did you catch that last line? Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. I wonder if that wasn't his way of saying, We are in big trouble. We're sending out some little punk kid who's never been in the army out to battle this giant. That reading you just heard that was shared by Nancy is part of that whole story of David and Goliath. And whenever I hear this story of David and Goliath, I am reminded of Israel's trouble with giants way back even in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. You know, this wasn't the first time giants are mentioned. Back in Numbers 13 and 14, the children of Israel had left Egypt. They had traveled two years in the wilderness and they actually arrived at the Jordan River. <clears throat> God had promised them the land on the other side of the Jordan, but before they crossed, they decided to send 12 spies into the country to see what the country looked like. And when the spies came back, well, they reported that the land was indeed a good land, but they also said it was a land that was inhabited by giants. There were giants in the land. In fact, 10 out of the 12 spies were absolutely terrified by these giants. They said we would be like ants under their feet. And they said, we don't want to go. Well, two guys, the minority report, Caleb and Joshua, who'd seen these same giants, tried their best to get the people to trust in their Lord, to enter into Canaan, to claim the land, but the people listened to the majority report and refused to battle their giants. Guess what happened? As a result, they had to spend another 38 years going back down in that wilderness and wandering around until that faithless generation completely died out. 38 years later, they arrived back at the Jordan River again and now Moses, before he dies, tells them that they're about to cross the river, and guess what? You're going to face the same giants that are still in that land on the other side of the Jordan. Now, what's the point? Well, see, Israel had run away from those giants 38 years before, but when their children came back 38 years later, the same giants were there, and the same giants had to be faced. Now I'm speaking to a group of people this morning who I am sure are facing some giants in their life. And the reason I'm so sure that you're facing giants is because we all do, and because I know that I face a few myself. The bottom line is this, you may not want to face your giants. You may want to run away from them in absolute fear, like 10 of those 12 spies. You may want to avoid them and hope that if you wait long enough, maybe they'll die or maybe they'll move to another town or they'll just go away. But if there's one thing I've learned in life, it's this. Your giants do not just go away. They ultimately need to be faced, faced down, and defeated. Now, today's reading that you heard a little while ago present David as a very young man. He is filled with faith. As I said at the beginning of the service, he's a guy who had the whole armor of God on him, literally. 
and God had given him some experiences with the little things like that lion and that bear. So when that big ugly dude known as Goliath came along, he was more than ready. David was a giant killer, and you ought to understand that you can be one as well. And I want to just share three things with you this morning on how that's possible. Here's the very first thing, step number one. You've got to exhibit the right motives. Now, I think a little bit of background in this story would probably be helpful. You may remember that there was a war going on, and David's older brothers were off fighting that war against the Philistines. David stayed at home to take care of the sheep where he killed that lion and that bear. But every once in a while, David's father, Jesse, would send David to the front lines to carry some food, some cheese, some meats, whatever, for his brothers. His brothers also thought that he was there to spy on them. But when David gets to the front line, he finds Saul and the armies of God, the armies of Israel, cowering in fear because of the taunts and the threats of a giant man by the name of Goliath. Now it seems that Israel and the Philistines were carrying out an ages-old ritual. And what used to happen would be they'd pick out a valley, the armies would camp on either side on the top of the hill, and maybe they were a little afraid to lose so many men, so each side would pick out their champion. And those two champions would walk to the center of that valley, and they would have a fight to the death. And whoever side won, well, they had to become slaves of the winning side. Well, the champion chosen by the Philistines was no ordinary soldier. In fact, you know, the old King James Bible says he was six cubits and a span tall. And I remember used to reading that story and I go, what? What do you mean six cubits and a span? Nobody measures in cubits and a span. Well, a cubit was really the distance from your elbow to about down to your wrist, and a span was the distance between your little finger and your thumb. Now, using it in modern-day terminology, Goliath was about nine foot six inches tall. Nine and a half foot tall. About six inches to spare as he walked underneath a basketball hoop. He wore armor that weighed 175 pounds. He carried a spear that weighed 32 pounds, and on the end of it was a spearhead that weighed another 8 pounds. I mean, this monster was covered in brass from head to toe. He was a formidable opponent, and his defeat, well, seemed in question. And what happened was, for 40 mornings and 40 evenings, twice a day, Goliath would march out into the middle with his little entourage with him, and he would taunt and make fun of the children of Israel and challenge them to find some man who would come out and do battle with him. For 40 days, 40 evenings, the Israelites heard the challenge, and then like a bunch of scared little rabbits, went back into their tents and hoped that Goliath would somehow go away. But after 40 days, isn't that interesting? 40 days, completion, here comes little David. David, who the Bible says was ruddy-faced and fair. He was a cute little rosy-cheeked guy. 
maybe 12, 13, 14 years old. He comes walking into camp. He hears what's going on. And David's faith and confidence says, I can deal with him. Bring him on. Some people said to David, he's too big. And David's response was, he's too big to miss. See, when David, though, spoke about killing this giant, his motives were questioned. Some people thought that David was motivated by the money and the wife that King Saul promised to whoever killed this giant of a man. David's brothers, you may remember, saw David anointed with oil as the next king in line after Saul. And I bet his brothers probably wondered if his motives weren't related to the fact that he was trying to advance his name a little bit in the country of Israel. Now, I don't know really what David's motives were, but, you know, as I read this story, I'm convinced that he wasn't really motivated by, by, by much more than just the glory of God and by his, his new role as this king. I mean, Goliath was out there mocking the children of Israel day after day after day, and David, just plain simple, could not stand that. Has that ever happened to you when you've heard people talk critically about your God? I'll tell you, it just grinds my gears when I hear people use God's name in vain. I'm just thankful I'm a pastor because I would have strangled thousands. I would just love to. Just rip their tongue out and not, not getting ahead of myself. But it just really grinds me. I, I hate it when I hear kids walking around and say things like, Oh, God, it's cold outside today. They should end that by saying, In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, it makes as much sense as for me to, you know, be in Hong Kong and, you know, miss the ball playing tennis and shout, Oh, Buddha. He didn't like it. I think that's part of his motivation. He didn't like to see his God drugged through the mud. And he didn't like the fact that these other guys didn't have enough guts to stand up for what they knew was right. And I kind of think that he thought, as he had saved his father's sheep from the lion and the bear, that he could probably save his whole country from this big, ugly guy named Goliath. Now, what I'm going to ask you is this. When you see the giants you're facing in life, you may be facing physical giants, emotional giants, mental giants, psychological giants. You may be experiencing spiritual giants. I don't know what your giants are. Why do you want that Goliath defeated? In other words, what is your motive for having that giant dead? Let me give you a few motives. I think some of us would like to see whatever giant is in our life dead and gone because it would just make our life a whole lot easier. Some of us, maybe it's because we could have some bragging rights. We go around, man, I killed that big beast. Maybe some of us do it because we would now have power, leverage over somebody else. I did it, you didn't. Or maybe we wish we could take care of it because we just plain simple feel better physically or spiritually or whatever. I want to submit, I want to, submit to you that there are probably only two proper motives. You see them up there. One of them is that desire for God's glory. That's the same thing David had. That ought to be our ultimate motive for anything and everything we do. Everything we do in life ought to be passed through 
the filter of God's glory. Why do I come to church? For the glory of God. It's not for my personal benefit. I'm here to give glory to God. Why do I contribute in church? It's for the glory of God. Why do I help my brother and sister? It's for the glory of God. Why do I sing these songs? For the glory of God. Everything is filtered through God's glory. That ought to be our motive for anything. But second of all is a desire for God's plan to be fulfilled in your life. Whether you like it or not, it is part of God's plan for you to face your giant or that giant wouldn't even be there. Now, it may be part of God's plan that you actually defeat that giant. It may also be part of God's plan that you learn to live with that giant. The question is, are you willing to accept his plan regardless of what happens? Now, I would submit to you today that one of the primary reasons God used David to defeat Goliath was because David had the right motives. And see, one of the reasons that some of us don't see our giants fall like we want them to is because we are often praying and operating with the wrong motives. All too often, our prayers are gimme, 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 gimme. Or at best, God, look what I've done for you. I did this. Now you owe me one. Selfish motives. God, so that your name can be glorified. I remember one of the most misnamed people I think I've ever met in my life, one of my first church. Her name was Joy. She, was, she had been baptized in vinegar or something even worse. The most joyless person I had ever met. Sour face, sour disposition. Honestly, just the kind of person you just didn't want to spend much time around. She could just suck the joy out of a... Another Christian from a hundred yards. You all know people like that, joy suckers. Part of her lack of joy was that her two sons dropped out of church. You know, they got confirmed, they were done. Maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. Done. She came to see me one day and she told me, Pastor, I am done praying. No more praying. I quit. I said, you're telling me that. Have you told God that? He said, he'll figure it out. And I said, why are you done? She said, because praying does not work. I said, really? She said, you know my two boys. I said, yeah, I know your two boys. I have been praying for my two boys now for over 20 years that they would come back to church. I said, okay, good. Why are you praying that? Why do you want them back to church? What was I really asking her? I was asking her to examine her motives. You know what her motive was? So I don't need to worry about them anymore. That was her motive. If they were back to church, I said, would it make any difference to you whether they believed in Jesus when they came back or not? She kind of looked at me like, what's that got to do with church? And you know, there are some people who think just being in church is enough. Oh, you know, if I get a little Jesus, that's okay too. I said, why don't you go home and change your prayers? 
Think about a desire for God's glory, that you would see these two boys back in church someday so that you could give glory to God for what he'd done, that they would come back for the glory of God. Well, she didn't like that answer very much. And quite honestly, I moved on to another church within about six months, didn't have joy or joyless to worry about. I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, we happened to go back to the first church for a funeral or something, and this lady came running up to me, big smile on her face. I didn't even know who she was. She gave me a big hug, and she said, do you remember me? And I went, nope, sorry. It's joy. What? It's joy. What happened to you? She says, you know, I went home and I started praying that my boys would come back to church so that God could be praised. And you know something, within about six or eight months, they started coming back. And I just give glory to God for that. I am so happy that God has done this great thing. That's what happens when you have the right motive. Maybe I'm talking to a few people here ought to jolly up a bit, get the right motive. Well, here's step number two. I think you need to embrace the right methods. When David's plan to reach the giant reached King Saul, guess what? Even the king joined in the chorus of naysayers telling David that he couldn't do the job. You heard that, what Nancy read to you before. But then hearing that David was determined, and David said, hey, look, I've killed the lion, I've killed the bear, I've got experience, God has been with me before, Saul decides to put his own armor on David. Now you may remember that when they went out and hunted for a king, what was it that said about Saul? It said that Saul stood head and shoulders taller than any man in Israel. I always pictured... King Saul looking like Tom Selleck. I don't know why. But about 6'4", handsome dude, but he had no backbone. But he's a big guy. I mean, of course, he's still two foot shorter than Goliath, but he's probably the biggest soldier they had in their camp. Here's little David, who knows how big he is when he's 12, 13. Maybe, you know, all of the puberty stuff hasn't kicked in. He's still a little short little guy. But David rejected Saul's armor. Why? Because he couldn't go into battle without the things that had worked best for him in the past. See, David had learned a lesson in the past with that bear and with that lion. David knew that God who always came through in the past is the God who would always come through in the present. David didn't know a single thing about swords and shields and spears. He was not schooled in armies or archery or armor, yet David knew that God had given him the victory in the past and that God does not ever change. I mean, Hebrews 13.8 tells us that. I'm the God who never changes. David knew that God was greater than any giant and that God had a plan for his life and his plan was not for him to die at the hand of Goliath. Why did David know that he was not going to die at the hand of Goliath? You ever stop and think about that? What had happened to him months before? He was anointed to be king. 
And they were still like, so you put two and two together. I'm not going to die out there. I'm going to be king someday. That's what God's already told me. So when David went out to fight, what did he take? He took with him the same things that had always worked for him in the past. He took his staff. He took his sling. It is not one of these things, you know, like that. This was a little piece of leather, two strings. Took five smooth stones, and he took the sovereign God. You ever wonder why David took five stones when he only needed one? Let me tell you, there are a couple of people say different things. Five in the Bible, I'm into numerology right now just from doing the study of Revelation, but five in the Bible is the number of grace. And David needed grace to defeat Goliath. But I don't think David knew anything about numerology when he was picking up his stones. The other thing we know from Scripture in 2 Samuel 21 is that Goliath had four brothers. And it could be that he knew that if he rocked Goliath pretty good, the four brothers might be coming off the side of the mountain as well, and so David would be prepared. But I think the most likely reason is that David wanted to be sure that he'd finished the job. He knew he might miss. Uh, he also knew that the giant might not fall on that very first shot. So he wanted to make sure that he was ready. By the way, our giants don't always fall down the first time we hit them either. But if we go into the battle, what? Fully equipped in the power of God, our spiritual armor, and we keep on swinging, that giant will eventually fall. But when it's all said and done, giant killing gets really pretty simple. It all comes down to one simple, basic truth. And it's this, the just shall live by faith. Now, if you want to see the giants in your life lying dead at your feet, there are five facts. I'm going to run through these pretty quick. Number one is that God is greater than your giants. Just plain simple, you know that God is bigger and greater and stronger than anything. What does the Bible say? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. Second of all, God who worked then still works today. The third thing is you don't even need any new methods. The same methods David used are the same methods you can use today. Now you're saying, what, Pastor, I'm supposed to be carrying around a big stick and a slingshot and some rocks? Well, sometimes it wouldn't hurt. I carry a big stick when I go walk into the neighborhood, but that's my dog poker. Here's the same thing that has worked from the beginning. Prayer, faith, and the Word of God. Prayer, faith, and the Word of God still gets the job done today. And they'll still get the job done tomorrow. It still get the job done a thousand years from now. You've got to learn to communicate with headquarters about your giant. Prayer is the believer's secret weapon. You need to assault your, your giant with the word of God. Attack that giant in faith, knowing that God grants victory. And he'll either give you the victory over what you face, or he'll give you victory in what you face. Go on to the next screen. Here's a couple more of them. God did not save you to let you fall at the hand of your giant. You need to remember that. God is not interested in your defeat. 
God is not sitting up there and saying, let's watch Ted tumble this time. This is going to be fun. No. God wants to see Ted win and win and win and win and keep on winning. He wants Ted to go undefeated. He wants you to go undefeated. The fifth one up there is that giants are placed in our life to grow us in the Lord. You know, giants are the original breakfast of champions. God's champions eat giants for breakfast. Warren Wiersbe is the commentator I really love. Warren Wiersbe said that giants are the little bumps in life that we climb over. Little bumps. Here's step number three. You have to expect the right miracles. In fact, I'd even want to drop part of that. You ought to just learn to expect miracles. Plain and simple, but it's good to expect the right ones. David walked into that valley directly into an impossible situation. Doubted by a bunch of people, his brothers, the king, the soldiers, ridiculed by that giant who looked at him and said, what'd you do, bring out a little stick to beat me like a dog? His faith allowed him to accomplish something that fear denied Saul and the others. Now, friends, if you battle giants, and I've certainly battled giants in my life, and I continue to battle them from time to time, you may not always see your giants fall the instant you put your faith in God. But don't let that cause you to lose hope. You see, you cannot always believe what the eyes of flesh see. But you can always believe what the eyes of faith see. It may look sometimes like you're outgunned or outnumbered or you're in an impossible situation. In fact, that's the way it looked for David that day. Or if you remember your Bible, it was the way it looked that day for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were tossed into that fiery furnace. It looked that way when Daniel was tossed into the lion's den. It looked that way when Jesus was nailed up on a cross. Now, I'd like to just remind you one more time, our God is a God who specializes in doing the impossible. You know, we've had movies called Mission Impossible. That's not, the, that's not movies about the Christian life. The Christian life is Mission Impossible or Mission Completed. You know, if you bring that hopeless, impossible situation to him and then you go and face it in faith, you're going to see... God snatched victories from the jaws of defeat. I tell you, go home and read all of this chapter again today. There's some really good stuff in here. In fact, if you read far enough in this chapter, chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, you'll finally get to verse 51. And in verse 51, it says, this is after David smote him in the forehead with a rock. He fell down. Verse 51 says, David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it out of the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. I knew that would get some people's attention. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. 
Now, I'm going to ask you a question that is so simple that I'm almost embarrassed to ask it. But here it goes. In verse 51, is the giant still there? Sure he is. Only now he's 10 feet long instead of about 10 feet high. You can step over a giant like that. You see, faith will take that which is over your head and will put it underneath your feet. That's what faith does for you. One last thing. I want you to notice and remember back from what Nancy read to you before that David had a mental trophy from all of his past victories. He carried those mental trophies. I killed a lion. I killed a bear. I mean, when I whacked a lion or a bear and the lion and the bear decided to turn on me, what did he do? He said, I grabbed him by the hair. Grabbed that old lion by his beard and I beat him to death. That old bear who thought he was going to turn on me, I grabbed him by the fur and I beat him to death. He had some mental trophies he carried around in his head. When he defeated Goliath, he accessed those mental trophies and used them as a reminder that what God had done in the past, God could now do in the present. And you know something, after he defeated Goliath, he took even more trophies to remind him in the future that God is a God who gives victory. I don't know if you remember this, but David took Goliath's armor. You know, every morning when David woke up, he could see Goliath's armor hanging on the wall. And it was a reminder that no matter what he faced that day, God was greater and able to give him the victory. The friends, as you face your giants, whatever they may be today, look back over your life. Take a look back. Some of you got more to look back over. Remember those times when God moved mountains in your life before. Remember when God did the impossible back then. Well, the same God who did it back then can do it right now. You, you, you get that giant to God, and in his time, he will give you the right miracle, the miracle that you need. That's why I challenge you this morning, I challenge myself, to bring whatever giant we may have to the feet of Jesus today. There, examine our motives for wanting to get rid of it, to God's glory, and so that his purpose in our life might be accomplished. And then to embrace God's method for defeating that giant through our faith, through our prayers, through the same things that have worked for us in the past, and then go after those giants in faith. Doing so, we will gain the victory. May God grant that for Jesus' sake. Amen.